Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. Tonight I want to take a look at the knowledge of God, resting in the knowledge of God. We started last night in our Bethesda class uh, a discussion. Uh, The sermon that we were looking at, uh, the sermon of Jonathan Edwards that we were looking at was the diverse excellencies of Christ. And uh, as as we, I mean, you... I mean, that, that's just, there you go. <laughs> that's enough to solve that. Just, that's all you need to say. The diverse excellencies of Jesus. That he is the, you know, the, this just, yeah. <laughs> As you can tell, I'm still having trouble with my words. But um, we ended up uh, having a little bit of a conversation on the knowledge of God and and it just spurred me on into today, and so this is what came about of that. So I'll share with you this doctrine on the knowledge of God and resting as believers in the knowledge of God. Amen. So we, if we take a look at people around us, if you take a look at the world around us, men spend their lives trying to get knowledge of God. They want to know who God is, whether, you know, whether that's God, the God, God, a God, or God themselves. Men spend their lives seeking to know God. Most people in the life, in, in the world, the culture that we live, self has become God. But regardless, people spend their lives and their efforts and their energies trying to know God. Religions trying to gain knowledge of God through vain efforts, vain works. Everybody is striving to know God and it ends up being self-centered efforts. And they never really fully know God. The Bible says that God is a mystery in Colossians 1, 26-27. It says this, The mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This mystery of God is Christ, the hope of glory. Amen. He is, he is the mystery revealed. God is a mystery. Why is He a mystery? Because God is infinite and we are finite. And 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18-25. through 25, Are you all with me this evening? It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputed of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? We're talking about the knowledge of God tonight. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews it's a stumbling block, to Greeks it's the foolishness, but to those who are called. Is anybody called this evening? You might not be sure. (laughs) Hopefully tonight you'll know. Those of us who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is the message of Christ crucified. It is the power of God. It is the wisdom of God. It is the knowledge of God. Because of the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The deeper problem of our society is that man is sinful and God is holy. Why can we not know the knowledge of God? Why is God a mystery to us? Because we have a sin issue. Sin is a barrier that keeps us from knowing God. All knowledge. Everybody say all knowledge. All knowledge comes from a revelation by God. In Matthew 16, 17, we remember the story. Jesus was with the disciples, and they're telling him about what everybody else reports. And Jesus looks at them and says, who do you say I am? That's great. I'm glad that you know what everybody else says. 
But who do you say that I am? He was not looking for their exegetical statement and their theological position on who he was. Jesus knew who he was. He didn't need to be informed of his identity. He was asking because he wanted the revelation of God that had been deposited in their heart to come out. Who had a revelation of God? And lo and behold, Peter speaks up. You are the Christ. And Jesus looked at him and said this, verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Blessed are you, Simon, that God has chosen to reveal himself to you. Blessed are you, Simon, that you have declared the reality of who Christ is, who I am. It came by a revelation from God. That word revelation is the word apocalypsis. It means to be uncovered. It means to be unveiled. Second Corinthians, Paul wrote about this. He said, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unveiled, that's a typo, in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. Nevertheless, when one turns to be converted, that's the, the word turns in the Greek. When it's, you know, a lot of times we misread this in, in our modern English. It says, nevertheless, when one turns, we read that and say, I'm going to turn myself about and do the hokey pokey. <laughs> that's not what the Greek says. It says, nevertheless, when one is to be converted to the Lord, the veil is taken away. God removes the veil and we have revelation. Scripture shows us that there is a general revelation and there's special revelation. The general revelation is this, that God reveals himself in creation. The Bible says that the, the creation itself declares the glory of the Lord. You can go back, that means that the creation that exists today around us declares his glory. But it also means that the day of creation, the creation itself, the act of creation, declares the glory of God. Why did God make you? <laughs> in song he made you to glorify him you are to declare the glory of the Lord the greatest display of that glory is that he has redeemed you out of your pit of despair redemption is the greatest display of the glory of God that's why you were made how do you do that? you enjoy the Lord general revelation creation itself declares the revelation of God. And then there's special revelation. Special revelation is God revealing himself, God choosing to show himself among men. But generally speaking, talking about general revelation, without the illumination of the Holy Spirit, general revelation is distorted. And with sinful influence, it becomes self-focused. The ultimate end in creation, the ultimate end in the creation of man, history, all of it, they become self-fulfilling and exist only for personal pleasure. What happens with the world around us? We see it being lived out before us today. People in the state of sin look at creation, look at created man, look at the historical facts of God, and they, they, uh, they mock it, and they live for personal gain and for personal satisfaction. And they distort it. It's distorted because of sin. Romans chapter 1 talks to us about this. In verse 20 and 21 of Romans 1, it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What is this saying? It's saying the creation is declaring the invisible attributes of God. And thus, no one has excuse. We try to create excuses in, in our world by saying Big Bang and this and that and other theories because we don't want to acknowledge that God is displaying His reality in creation. The moment that science and people in the world declare that that's God is the minute that they have to acknowledge that they're sinners and they don't want to do that. Anybody with me tonight? Verse 21, because although they knew God, 
general revelation. They saw him in creation is what this is talking about. They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. They didn't have a special revelation that God didn't reveal himself to them. But what happened? They became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, the wine of God's knowledge became the vinegar of human confusion. All of a sudden, what should be sweet and most enjoyable became distasteful and distorted. That is man's attempts to get to God. But in Christianity, the knowledge of God is revealed to us. We can't earn our way. Is anybody hear what I'm saying? Did you hear that? You can't earn your way to God. You can't, you, can't know, you can't strive and work at knowing God. He has to reveal himself to you. He reveals himself to you through his word. Amen. He reveals himself. He always, he always reveals himself to you through his word. And everybody said, amen. He speaks to us through his wit- written word. Amen. This word is his written word. You need to dive into this. He reveals himself in this. It, you know, it may just be a verse or a word or a day. It, it doesn't matter. Get in the word of God. He's revealing himself there. He reveals us to the incar- through the incarnate word, which is Jesus Christ. The word made flesh. Jesus came and lived among us. And, the, and, and we touched him, John said. We beheld him. We touched him. We handled him with our hands. The word became flesh. Now, this is an interesting statement, and, and last night I said something in class, and it was funny because Jen picked up on that, and she commented, and she came back, so it, and it kind of stuck with me that she commented on this, but the Word of God is the very fabric, it's the very DNA of Jesus Christ. He's God, He's man, and in His very chemical makeup is the Word of God. That's why He couldn't do anything but fulfill the prophecies concerning Him. That's why He couldn't do anything but on the cross quote Scripture. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? It was in His DNA. It was part of His nature. So here's my question for you. Is it part of your nature? Have you had a revelation of God? And has that revelation transformed your nature? Spoken word. God speaks to us. He spoke and the worlds were created. And then there's the revealed word. The Holy Spirit speaking to us. And none of them contradict. Jeremiah 9, 23-24. is a great scripture. And it it is a great scripture that explains the enjoyment of God leading us to the knowledge of God. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories, if you're going to delight yourself in something, if you're going to find yourself boasting in something and delighting in something, glory in this. That he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. What does God say he delights in here? What is he saying that he delights in? He's saying, one, he delights in those who delight in him. If you're going to glory, glory in God. Delight in him. And as you do that, he reveals himself to you. And what does he do? He delights in revealing himself. God has a good time revealing himself to you. He enjoys telling you secrets. He likes telling you secrets. He wants you to tell, he wants to tell you the mysteries of heaven. But if you want to hear the secrets, you got to get close. If you want to hear the intimate things of God, you've got to spend time with him. And he's got to spend time with you. And then he delights here. He says, I delight in acting in loving kindness and judgment and righteousness. That's a whole sermon in itself. We could take a look at loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness. How many of you thought that the Lord delights in judgment? How many of you have ever heard that? How many of you have ever read that scripture and thought, God delights in judgment? Think about that. I'm not going to preach on that, but that's, that'll preach. We say, God, God loves everybody. So, you know, this is a, what does the world around us say? God loves everybody. Everybody's going to heaven. Isn't that the culture of the world in which we live? Oh, but don't forget, friend, he's also a holy God. Yeah. And his holiness demands justice on sin 
And there is an ultimate judgment on sin that's coming. In John chapter 3, oh, we love verse 16. (laughs) But we forget the verse that follows. That says that you are condemned if you do not believe. You're already condemned. The judgment of God. So this brings me to our scripture for tonight. Kind of our launch pad for this look at the knowledge of God. And I'll see where, oh, I don't have enough time to finish this sermon. We'll see where we'll get. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 13 through 14 says this. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel and who instructed him? And taught him in the path of justice. Who taught him knowledge and showed him in the way of understanding? The knowledge of God. Who taught him? God, number one, is the source of all knowledge. Having knowledge is a stream from the endless spring. God is the fountainhead of all knowledge. He exists. He is the center of all knowledge. To have knowledge of God is both rational, it's logical, it's intellectual, but it's also spiritual. It's also experiential. In John chapter 4, Jesus said this regarding God. He is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and, and truth. It is knowledge and experience. It's rational, it's logical, and it's experience. In John chapter 5, verse 35, Jesus was speaking of John the Baptist, and he said that he was a burning and shining lamp. His heart was inflamed, and his mind was illuminated by the Holy Spirit. He had both knowledge and experience of the goodness of God. Knowledge itself is not God, nor is salvation obtained by enlightenment, as the Gnostics believe. Rather, God reveals Himself in Christ through divine knowledge as the Savior. You are not saved because you have knowledge. You are saved because Christ is the Savior, and He has grace on you. The task of the believer is to have knowledge given through enjoyment of God that we might speak about God more accurately and to savor God's beauty in that knowledge. You're not seeking knowledge to know God for the sake of having knowledge only. Our, our purpose in enjoying God and gaining knowledge of Him is that we might behold His beauty in that knowledge and speak more accurately of who He is and enjoy Him more fully through that. If everything in creation is originated and designed by God to reveal His glory, then to pursue knowledge without reference to an enjoyment of God is not learning but insurrection. If God's purpose and His intention in this life is to display His glory, creation declares the glory of God. If that is His intended purpose of all things, then for us to try to learn through science, through academics, through scholarship, through whatever, for us to try to achieve anything in this life disconnected from that purpose is not learning, it's not advancement, it's insurrection. Number two, God knows all things because He declares all things. Let me ask you this, and this is probably the most important question, is how... He knows what he knows. You know, I can have someone come up to me and tell you, hey, I've got a great thing I need to tell you, and they tell me a big old fat lie. I want to know how they know what they told me is accurate. How do I know what God knows is true? Let me answer the question. Because he declared it. It originated with him. What God knows is perfectly true and accurate because He declares it. It originates with Him. Isaiah 46, 9-10 through 10 says, Remember the order things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do my pleasure. In other words, God is writing the storybook of your life and He is not surprised by any turn in the chapters. He's not surprised by the start of a new chapter, he's not surprised by the period at the end of a sentence. Every detail of your life has been foreordained and declared by God. 
Number three, God's knowledge is boundlessly, boundlessly perfect and expressed infallibly in His Word. What does that mean? It means that God is infinite and He is perfect in all of His ways and the, it is absolute. His knowledge is absolutely infallible. It will not fail. It cannot be changed. It can't be reworded. He is absolutely perfect and that perfect knowledge is expressed in the Word of God. In Psalms 19 verse 7 it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. In 2 Timothy 3.16 it says, All Scripture. Hit your neighbor and say, All Scripture. The parts you like and the parts that you don't like. The parts that you understand and the parts you don't understand. How many of you read anything in the Bible? You're like, I don't understand that. <laughs> All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And Peter writes... That the, the men who wrote the scripture, he uses the term that they were carried away. And the, the term that he uses in the Greek means that they were literally caught up in a trance. They were caught up in a spiritual trance writing as the Lord spoke to them. They were writing out as God was speaking to them. They were carried away. That's awesome. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. That, by the way, is a reflection of Romans 12 that tells us to not to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. The Word of God is our sanctifier. Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerning of thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God is boundlessly Perfect. The knowledge of God is boundlessly perfect, expressed infallibly in His Word. Christ is the incarnate expression of that Word. He is the perfect picture of the He is the perfect picture, expressed image of God's thought of Himself. When you see Jesus, you see God's image of Himself. The reason that is. Is because the Father loved the Son, the Son loved the Father, the, the Son came, He was born in this life. If God loved Him more than Himself, He was worshiping an idol. But He loved Him, if, he, if Christ wasn't the expression of God, if Christ was a separate man, if He, you know, as people say, well, He wasn't the Son of God, He was just a prophet. If that were true, and God loved him more than he loved himself and all that scripture says otherwise of Jesus, God would be worshiping an idol. And so Jesus is as much God as God the Father is. You cannot separate the two. Christ is the express image of the Father. Amen. Number four, nothing can be hidden from God. You'll love this. Daniel 2, says this. He reveals deep and secret things. Anybody getting this tonight? <laughs> have a drink. <laughs> this, is, this is a good drinking sermon. You can just have a good drink on the scripture, on the knowledge of God tonight. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. Hebrews 4.13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I said naked funny. Ezekiel 11.5 says, Thus says the Lord, For I know the things that have come into your mind. He knows it all. You cannot hide anything from him. The trees of the Garden of Eden could not hide Adam and Eve. No one saw Cain murder his younger brother, but his maker witnessed his crime. Sarah laughed in her tent and God heard it. Achan stole gold and tried to hide it and God brought it to the light. David went to great lengths to try to cover up his wickedness. And we know how that turned out for him. God took note of it all. God is not only thoroughly acquainted with the events of the universe, we would think God as infinitely high as he is and as majestically majestic as he is and how high up in heaven that he sit, sits 
that he would only concern himself with the events of the universe and the, the world system itself. But God takes note of even the most seemingly insignificant detail of your life. Luke 12, 7 says that even the hairs of your head are numbered by the Lord. This God who rules all things by the word of his power, the one who sits at the universe and controls it all and at the end of all things will wrap it up like a scroll and throw it into the fire is the same God who sits and knows every detail, every atom of your body is counted by the Lord. <laughs> I, woo, <laughs> just think about that for a second. Is your, is, your, is your knowledge of the Lord being expanded tonight? I hope so. Number five. The knowledge of God is infinitely greater and higher than any knowledge that man may have or may obtain. Psalms 147.5 says this, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Isaiah 55.8-9 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor ways nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Just a quick little point here. The heavens go on and on and on and on. They haven't found the end of it yet. So are my ways and my thoughts above yours, says the Lord. He sits at the highest of heavens and he rules all things. His knowledge is endless. He knows all things. What does this mean? What are the implications of this, that God's knowledge is so vast, that He knows all things? What does this mean for you and I as believers? It means that you and I can rest in the knowledge of God. Amen. It means that you can find rest, that God's got it covered. You may not know what, what tomorrow holds, but He does. You may not know what direction that you need to go in the next phase of your life, but He does. We're so short-sighted in our lives. All we worry about is what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, what we're going to do tonight after service. Am I going to get on, up on time tomorrow for school or church or work or whatever? And all we, that's all we get involve ourselves with, and yet God is so infinitely greater than those things. If we could just begin to grasp the reality of the vastness of His knowledge, this is just, just one attribute of God, we would find ourselves less worried about who done did us wrong and what was going on in our life because we would recognize God's got it covered. I don't need to concern myself with that. <laughs> Amen. I can rest in God's knowledge because my path is known by God. Job 23.10 says, But he knows the way I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Psalms 37.23 says that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord, and he delights. This is, I, I put it in parentheses there. The pleasure of God. God's pleasure is to delight in the righteous path of your life. There is nothing that happens in your life that surprises God. He knows the path that you're on. He knows the direction that you're going to take. God is confident in His ability to sustain you through it all. Whether you face cancer, whether you face death, whether you face hell or the grave or martyrdom, He is confident to sustain you through it all. I don't understand why wicked, vile things happen to good people. Anybody heard that before? Let me answer that. By one man's sin, death entered the world. And death has passed to all by one man's sin. You and I are under the condemnation and the guilt of that sin. It has followed us and will continue to follow every single one of our descendants, should the Lord tarry. But God, in His infinite grace and His mercy, will allow things for the eternal plan to happen that you and I don't understand. Let me give you an example. Take a look at Jesus' death. If you think that God for a moment would spare His own Son, do you think that He would do that? Absolutely. But 
God in a moment of time allowed what he abhorred in order to fulfill an eternal plan and purpose. Sometimes you have to go through a moment of testing because the outweighing result of that is an eternal plan that God is working in and through your life. We don't always understand in the short term why people that we're close to who are young that seem to die before their time, we don't always understand the cancer and the wickedness and the sin and the things of this world. But my friend, do not discredit the sovereignty of God by your own stupidity. Understand this. That God who rules all things in this universe, who has flung the stars into space and controls all things, don't you think that he can handle the small, minute details of your life, name cancer, death, or whatever it is, don't you think that God can handle that? Then why is it happening? Maybe because God is working an eternal plan in and through that situation. And God, by the way, sustained his son through it all. You say, well, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me help you with this. In Luke 24, 49, it says this, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. From eternity past, the Father had this promise with his Son. If you will go and become their sacrifice, I will restore them to our fellowship and to their enjoyment of us. If you'll go, I will send. I will make this promise. I will send the Holy Spirit, this same Spirit of love that exists between you and I. I will pour out abundantly, lavishly. I will baptize them in this. This is the word with which Jesus set his joy upon. When the Bible says, Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. What was the joy? We think salvation. That's just the beginning, friends. That was just the obvious of his sacrifice. The joy that was before him was that you and I would be brought into full of fellowship and enjoyment of God again, that the same Spirit of God, the same Holy Spirit that exists between the Father and the Son would once again be poured out on all mankind. It was the same fellowship that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden in the cool of the day. They walked with the Lord. The Holy Spirit was right there in the midst of the garden with them. How do I know that? Read Genesis. In the beginning, the Holy Spirit was hovering upon what? The deep, the face of the waters. The the earth was without form, without void. The Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father were all involved in this thing. talking about the knowledge of God. And God sustained Christ through it all. Secondly, God knows how and to what end we were formed. Psalms 103.14 says, For He knows our frame, He he remembers that we are dust. Isaiah 42.3 says, A bruised reed He will not break, and a smoking flax He will not quench. Here's what McLaren says about this. The two metaphors which we have in the former part of these words are not altogether parallel. A bruised reed has suffered an injury which, however, is neither complete nor irreparable. A smoking flax, on the other hand, by which, of course, is meant flax used as a wick in the old-fashioned oil lamp, is partially lit. In the one, a process has begun which, if continued, ends in destruction. In the other, a process has begun which, if continued, ends in a bright flame. So one metaphor may refer to the beginnings of evil, which may still be averted, and the other, the beginnings of an incipient incipient and and incomplete good. In other words... Jesus, who will not bruise, a bruised reed he will not break, Jesus comes and he is the healer of the wounded. You may find yourself in this life absolutely broken, but the Bible says that he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed, he was bruised for our iniquities. The Christ, the King, was bruised for you and I. So This tells me that God knows to what end we were formed. He knows that we are broken. He knows that we are but dust. He knows that our lives are incomplete without Him. He came and became wounded and bruised to be the healer of those reeds who have been bruised. He is the restorer of the flame. 
Anybody need a flame restored in your life? Isaiah 61 says that he has come. He is the Lord who comes to give us beauty for ashes. In the middle of your ash heap, in the middle of the, of the dung hill of your life, in the ash heap of your life, where the flame seems to have diminished, Christ comes and puts the flame of his presence in the ash heap of your life and reignites your soul to a flame again. Thirdly, the implication of this is that God knows my thoughts and the meditations of my heart, thus I am never alone. Psalms 139, 23-24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. John 21, 17, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know all things. Psalms 19.14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Fourthly, God acts as a result of his omniscience. All wise, all knowing. Consider for a moment with me if God had based his decisions and actions on man's advice. We all like to give God advice. In this action, he would be sinning by breaking the first commandment, have no other gods before me. Additionally, consider how flawed God's eternal plan would be following the counsel of fallible humans. We would be in trouble. I know we all want God to follow our advice and our recommendation, but God does what he wills. And it's good for you. Don't complain. Enjoy it. This is sinking in. I'm flying through some of this. I hope you're taking notes. But I just want to pause here for a moment on this. If not, get the podcast. I want to pause for a moment on this because we, we want God to respond how we want Him to respond. We want God to heal us when we want Him to heal us. We want God to save our family when we want Him to save our family. We want God to do And we've got it all planned out. I'm not telling you not to stand on the promise of the Lord. That's exactly what He said do. But in your standing, know this. He's got a plan. He's got it worked out. You keep standing on the promise of God. The promise of God is less to remind him of who he is, but to remind you of who he is. God didn't give us his promises for his benefit. He gave us his promises for your benefit, for your enjoyment of him. God is fully satisfied and happy right now. He's not distracted by your circumstance. He's not distracted by our goofy president candidates. He's not distracted by any of it. He is absolutely 100, perfectly, 100% perfectly at peace and happy over it all, knowing that what he has spoken will come to pass. He's working out his eternal plan. Consider this, what moves someone to action? What moves you to action? What, what, is the motivation. What moves you to act? Your soulish man. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. You think, a thought comes into your mind, you think of what you're going to do, you have knowledge. Your will, what do you desire? And then thirdly, your emotions, the heart of the man. Well, here's what the Bible says about that. In Luke 6, 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So God moves and acts on our behalf based on what he knows, his desires, and his emotions. What does that mean? Well, let me help you. If God is motivated by infinite love towards his son that has been imputed to us as his adopted sons and daughters, then God's actions regarding you and I are the eternally supreme best activities towards us because we are the objects of his love in Christ. Thus, the greatest display of His glory is that we are ultimately satisfied with God alone. God's knowledge of our enjoyment in Him, His desire for us to enjoy Him and display His glory, and being that He is full of infinite love towards His Son and He expresses that love towards us, God's actions towards you and I bring about the ultimate satisfaction in Him and thus magnify Him. In other words, most of you just said, huh? In other words... God has knowledge of our satisfaction in Him. He knows if we're delighting in Him. 
And it is His desire to display His glory in our life. And the greatest way to do that is that we enjoy Him. And being that He loves us infinitely because He loves His Son infinitely, then every action that He takes towards you and I is fullness of goodness towards us. In other other words, who can separate you and I from the love of God? Shall tribulation and distress, shall persecution or famine or nakedness or sword or peril? As As it is said, we are being put to death all the day long. But in all these things, Paul said, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Nothing, nothing can separate you. How is that true? Because God knows you. I got to wrap this up. Number five, I got, I, I got a lot. <laughs> Number five, revelatory spiritual gifts are inspirations from God and are pieces of this divine knowledge for the comfort, encouragement, and exhortation of others. God gives these revelatory spiritual gifts, and they are but pieces, if you will, of the knowledge of God expressed to us through words of prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says this, Whoever prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. The revelation gifts are expressions of this infinite knowledge of God. Number six, instead of acting recklessly, we should seek the knowledge of God. I'll say that again. I'm not so sure you all heard me. Instead of acting recklessly, we should seek the knowledge of God. Amen. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? In the word of the Lord. Knowledge of God. That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Ephesians 5.26 tells us that the Lord washes us with the renewing word of God. The water of his word. Number seven. Knowledge of God is not an end to itself, but it's the beginning which results from faith-produced godly fear. Let me explain this. Proverbs 9.10 and Psalms 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of... Now, where does this godly fear come from? By grace through faith are you... Okay, you're with me. Let's walk this journey. God, by His grace, imparts faith into your heart through the message of Christ. Faith produces in your heart godly fear. That is the beginning of knowledge. We oftentimes in church say that is the end to all things. But to the gospel, it is only the beginning. It's only the beginning of knowing God. It's only the beginning. It's just the beginning of the journey. And number eight, to enjoy God more fully results in greater revelation of God. This is the pursuit of the believer, to enjoy God more fully that we may know Him more richly. Ephesians 1, Paul said that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of His glory, of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power. Let me explain that to you like this. If you want to get to know someone, you have to spend time with them. And it has to be enjoyable time. You can spend time with people and not enjoy it, and you won't get to know very much. (laughs) I've sat in those kind of conversations. But when you enjoy someone and you spend time with them, enjoying them, you get to know them. Intimacy is developed by mutual enjoyment. If you want to be intimate with the Lord, you have to have some mutual enjoyment with Him. You have to delight yourself in Him. You have to spend time with Him. You have to get to know Him. Enjoy Him and He'll reveal Himself to you. I promise. Let me wrap up with this thought. We've said it before. I continue to say, you have to place yourself in allurement. You've got to place yourself in allurement. He delights in you. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to reveal this. I mean, this is just but scratching the surface of the attribute of God of knowledge. He wants to reveal to you the depths of his understanding. 
He wants to reveal to you. I mean, I, re- I remember when God called me into ministry and he said, I was one word, pastor. And I thought, ooh, praise the Lord, hallelujah. You know, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget when I got born again and, and the Sunday school teacher was teaching about Jonah in the whale and had the flannel graphs with the 3D flannel graph and Jonah was in the belly of the fish when the black light came on. It was like, wow, I don't want to be like Jonah in the belly of the fish. And I got born again that day. Thank you, Jesus. i never forget that. I'll never forget when, when the Lord uh, baptized me in the Holy Ghost. I'll never forget those days. Thank you, Jesus. I'll, and I'll never forget milestone after milestone of the meetings and meetings with the Lord where He has imparted His knowledge into my life, knowledge of the path that He set before me, knowledge of who He is, knowledge of His goodness, knowledge of His Word. He's constantly imparting and wants to deepen and enrichen those things in your life. What happens as you do that? What happens? Let me just make this very practical as I wrap all this up. I mean, some of you are just sitting, staring at me like, oh my Lord, I've never looked at the knowledge of God like this before. I've never thought about this. I've never seen this. So let me just make this very simple for you. If you want, if you go out to Canton Akron Airport and and you want one of the big jumbo jets to land out there. You want, you want to make a runway for one of the big jumbo jets to land out there. You've got to have what? You've got to have a runway large enough that can accommodate that jet. If you don't, the jet goes off the end and boom, it's not good. That's how Christians live their lives. We want the, we want the spiritual high, the spiritual experiences without the knowledge of who God says He is. And we end up running off the runway with our spiritual highs and spiritual whatevers because we, we don't have the knowledge of the Lord to balance us out. We've got a bunch of uh, spiritual fruitcakes. We've got a bunch of people who have, have that we want the spiritual high. Hey, I'm all for the spiritual highs. I'm all for the great encounters with the Lord. That's part of it. Having our emotions affected by God, that's part of it. Having the experience with the, with the Lord, that's part of it. Seeing the signs and the wonders and the miracles and, and the feeling the tangibleness of His presence and seeing the anointing and operation, that's all part of it. So don't get me wrong. We need that and we want that, but it's not mutually exclusive from the knowledge of God. You have to have both. God is spirit and truth. And the more understanding, the more that you enjoy God, the more that you experience Him, the more that you enjoy Him, the more knowledge He reveals to you and He'll speak to you. For example, you get born again. And God speaks to you about salvation. The knowledge of salvation inflames your heart. And then someone tells you, guess what? You can be baptized in the Holy Ghost. There's more. There's more? Wow, this is pretty good. I was feeling pretty good. And then all of a sudden, I can get baptized in the Holy Ghost. And you get baptized in the Holy Ghost. You're like, wow, that's awesome. Praying in tongues and you got the fire of God in your belly. Woo, that's great. And then somebody says, well, you can begin to lay hands on the sick and see them. What? I can lay hands on the sick and see them heal? Okay, buddy, let's go. Give me a sick person. Where's the leper? And the knowledge of God increases in our life the more that we enjoy Him. And the more that we enjoy Him, that knowledge increases and it creates a runway, if you will, where we can dive into the depths of the goodness of God. If you don't know that it exists, how can you enjoy it? You've got to dive in, get into the Word, get, into, get in, get into the presence of God. Let Him speak to you. That's why we say, if, if you don't know where to start, man, if you, I don't feel God, I know all these people falling on the floor, all this stuff, I don't know. Just come to the altar. Just get hands laid on you. Well, I don't want to fall. So don't fall. Sit on the floor. I've seen people do that and they still fall. I don't know how it happens. Just sit there, but soak up His presence. Begin to delight yourself in God. God is not angry with you. Let me tell you something. If you are born again, God is happy about that. I'll say that again. If you are born, that's worth repeating. If you are born again, God is happy about that. You have been rescued out of the kingdom of dark. Then start to enjoy Him like you've been rescued. Yeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> well, I could keep going. <laughs> but I'll stop. 
get the podcast. I would, I would listen to this and, and get it, let it soak into your spirit. Is it, let, oh, Jesus, help me, Lord. Here, here's, here, this, I know I said I was going to wrap this up, but when you begin to delight in God and he reveals this, the knowledge of what, what you're experiencing, have you, ever, have you ever had an experience in God and you just, you were like, wow, is that even biblical? Like, is that even possible? Like, I didn't even know that that could happen. Anybody ever been there? And so you, you have that and God begins to reveal himself to you and should through the word. You know, it's great that you come down and, and God touches you and roll on the floor, you laugh, whatever, whatever. But you need to find the scripture that talks about it and find out what God is saying. Ask God. And, and you may not get it for a couple of months, three months, six months, a year, two years down the road. Oh, that's what God was doing in that moment. That's okay. But you need to get that. You need to let God speak to you and reveal himself to that. But here's what happens in those moments. Instead of coming to church all broke, busted, disgusted, and just miserable and doing the checklist, all of a sudden you come to church excited about the Lord because you're not doing a duty, you're not doing a service, you're not making your pastor happy, although you are by coming to church, but that's not your intent. You show up because you're there to enjoy God through worship, through the Word, through the fellowship of the believers, and it really doesn't matter what's going on in life because God's still enjoyable. He hasn't changed. I'm preaching on change on Sunday, by the way. Well, we, you know, some of us, the, the, I, the Lord, changeth not. We've been, I, John, changeth not. <laughs> you know, we're, we don't want to change. Don't change. But God never changed. Just delight. Enjoy Him. He's happy. I promise. He's happy. Well, He hates sin. Yes, He does. And He... He poured out 100% of his wrath and hate about sin on his son. So don't tell me God ain't happy. God executed 100% of his vengeance, his wrath, his anger towards sin on his son. I think he's moved on from that. If he, if he hadn't, we'd be in a lot of trouble. If he hadn't, our world, me, you, right now, would be under the judgment, fuel, full fury right now. We'd be offering sacrifices saying, oh God, please don't strike me dead. So thus, he's a happy God. Enjoy him. Hallelujah. Why don't you stand? Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so hard.